That's our intro music. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, good whatever it is, wherever you may be. This is Nikki Acosta, and you are watching Cloud Unfiltered. Uh, we have a great guest with us today. This is Chris Riviere. We tried to do this before at a conference, but the audio quality was terrible. So here we are again, talking uh, Cisco Umbrella, formerly known as OpenDNS and all that stuff. Chris, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks, Nikki. Chris Riviere here. Happy to be here. You look very beachy. Where are you today? I'm actually on the beach, uh, Nagshead, North Carolina. Lovely. Hope, hoping Irma doesn't come that way. Yeah, we're hoping it. It's terrifying. Does not come up here. Yes. <laughs> so, Chris, you are a. I think your official title is cloud consulting engineer, or systems consulting engineer for cloud security, or something like that. Yeah, consulting systems engineer for cloud security, or yeah, Cisco umbrella. That's a lot of words. <laughs> yeah, I'm still getting used to it. <laughs> <laughs> Try putting that on a business card. So we typically start the show by asking you how you got to where you are. So give us the 411, take us all the way back to uh, when you were younger and how you got into tech. Sure. So I guess kind of started when I was in middle school. I did this kind of uh, summer camp, a couple of weeks at Duke, um, learning HTML. Um, don't even know what version it was back then, and just really took a liking to, to HTML and then started making some kind of personal websites um, and then actually, yeah, started doing some more professional websites. I remember, yeah, the first website I did was for this skin lotion company, and that was probably my first paid job doing a website. Um, kind of buddied up with a friend of mine who was a graphic designer and took it a little bit further. We had some lots of kind of local... Uh, businesses. I think we had Partyland, a uh, cosmetic company, a dermatology company, and it kind of just kind of grew from there. So that was my, that was kind of my only income stream through middle school, high school. Um, kept doing that and then eventually kind of turned it into a web, get a little bit more on the website hosting side as well. You get paid in uh, cosmetics and facial products? Uh, I, <laughs> unfortunately not. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I kind of grew from there and then they referred me. So I had some, you know, I went to college, I went to school at Georgia Tech, um, ended up doing the Georgia Dermatology website down there and had a few referrals. So kept that going through, yeah, through college and a little bit after college, actually. What a neat business. I bet yeah. it was fun, like to start an early HTML days and put a website together because these people were probably clueless, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was it was fascinating because you see this evolution from you know very simple. This is you know managing HTML files and you know creating all the images to now these full run CMS systems. Um, just got a lot more complex, but yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. And now there's WordPress, and you can like launch a site in two minutes, right? <laughs> yeah, ex exactly. With hosting included, etc. Yeah. <laughs> so what'd you do after Georgia Tech? Um, after Georgia Tech, yeah, uh, ended up working for this software company called OpNet Technologies, um, based in Bethesda, Maryland. Did, started off doing some kind of defense contracting work. Um, and then from there, I actually started off in a consulting role, um, which was which was quite interesting. Traveled um, all over the world. I think I realized I wanted you know, travel to be a part of my job. I can't believe um, they gave you clearance. 
<laughs> oh, really? <laughs> <Juanita. laughs> <Just kidding. laughs> um, but yeah, no, it was, it was a really cool company. Um, I was actually did a bunch of travel in Asia. I was going to move to Singapore, ended up uh, taking a promotion and moved to London. So I lived in London for three years um, as a, in a kind of SE, SE role. Awesome. What was London like? And L London was great. As I supported uh, Northern Europe and English-speaking Africa. Um, kind of an interesting patch. Um, but yeah, I liked it a lot. There was a lot of a lot of travel, but you know, really, I think I like big cities a lot. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah. So you joined Piston. Yeah, then joined a small startup in San Francisco called Piston Cloud Computing. Um, but, I mean, you're you're like very familiar with OpenStack, right? So, um, previous colleague of mine at OpNet had talked to me about this company, Piston. Um, figured I'd give it a shot. It was a new technology, OpenStack. Sounded kind of intriguing. Um, so yeah, so I joined Piston in San Francisco, and I was a kind of systems engineer, do some support, some professional services, you know, a little bit of everything at the startup, um, and really got full on into OpenStack. And so spent... Um, I guess I was there for about a year, um, supporting a number of different clients, and then we were acquired by Cisco uh, after I was there for about a year, where we joined the MetaCloud team, which that's, I think that's where you were, right? Yep, that's how I met Hi. you. <laughs> Shameless plug, thanks for that. So now you are working on Umbrella. So tell us what Umbrella is all about. Formerly known as OpenDNS, have the best shirts ever. The what is it? The Run Run, run. DNS, the Run DMC, oh. which is funny. You didn't even know what that meant. You're not wearing yours. <laughs> I'm not wearing it today. I thought about it. Um, yeah. So so what they did is they took Cisco's cloud security is basically called Cisco Umbrella, which encompasses previously OpenDNS as well as a recent acquisition, CloudLock in Boston, Massachusetts, which is a CASB cloud access security broker solution. Um, so I'm supporting that umbrella team um, out, of, out of California. So what's it for? What does it do? Uh, it's really providing protection um, at the DNS layer. And what's kind of interesting about that is you think of everything that you're doing um, you know, right now uh, on a daily basis is the first thing you're doing is making a DNS query, right? When you go to google.com, when you connect to this, you know, hangouts.google.com, you have to know where hangouts.google.com is, right? When you loaded up Jabber, um, all these other tools you're using, and, you know, on a regular basis, each user probably makes 2,000 to 7,000 DNS requests per day. Um, and the idea is, I mean, you work, it looks like you're in a home office. Um, lots of times when people, people are at work, there's, you know, numerous firewalls, content filtering systems, et cetera, that are protecting the users when they're at work. Now the user goes home, they go to a coffee shop, lots of times they lose that protection, um, especially if they're not behind a VPN. Um, and lots of times users will do different things on a VPN when they, you know, versus when they're off a VPN and they're at home. Um, so the idea is we actually see all these DNS requests. We resolve, I think we're at 115 billion re requests a day that we're resolving. Um, and the idea is we see these, I think we're number Maybe Google sees more than us, but it's roughly 2 to 3% of the requests that we see. Um, and we're able to see these requests from millions of home users, from thousands of business users, and we basically have this profile of what this internet, um, what this internet traffic looks like. Um, we have numerous data centers all around the world, and we can essentially identify you know, good and bad parts of the internet. 
whether that's where malware is hosted, um, whether that's domain generated, you know, domain generated algorithm used to randomly generate domain names, um, command and control callbacks. We have all this visibility. We can determine when we we can identify domains as being malicious. And so what we're really doing is we're stopping you from accessing those malicious domains. So if you got a phishing email saying, hey, there's a you know there's a promotion on I don't know, just you know, Fitbit. And you know, if you look very close to the URL, it might not be Fitbit.com, it might be fittybit.com, F-I-T-I bit.com. So if you try to access that site, you'll see that that site's blocked um, across numerous sort of phishing, malware, command and control, basically blocking that from taking place. How do I get and this it, for my grandfather? That's what I want to know. Yeah, no, it, it's perfect. Uh, my, uh, I could probably use my uncle as an <laughs> as a good example of what your grandfather is doing. But um, actually, it's very simple. You can sign up. We've actually kept the branding OpenDNS. So you can go to OpenDNS.com. You'll get some you know, elementary phishing level protection, which is completely free. Um, and the nice part about this is it's just the most simple solution to deploy. It's literally just point your DNS to us. So if you have a home, you know, home router or your grandfather, you can go just set the DNS instead of the default, you know, probably Comcast or Spectrum, Charter, Verizon, just set it to the open DNS servers, um, which are on the back of that shirt that you have. Uh, so just set, set your DNS to us, 20867220220. Um, and that's essentially it. And then all the requests that are going through that router will go to us first and we'll basically say, hey, this is good or this is bad. So you all monitor all of Cisco employees too. You must because every time I flip up my computer and connect, it says you are now protected by Umbrella. Correct. And so that, that's one of the nice things. You're probably talking about the AnyConnect. Um, so there's integration with AnyConnect. So the idea is maybe your grandfather's not the best example, but when he when he leaves his home and he goes into a coffee shop or something, you know, how can you protect that laptop? And that's where there's we have a standalone client um, as well as integration with AnyConnect, basically always providing DNS protection wherever you go. So the idea is if you're on network, um, you know, Cisco can set whether or not the policy is enforced via AnyConnect or whether it's a network policy. And now, you know, I'm I'm at a beach house now. Um, I'm not on a I'm not on a VPN, yet I'm still protected, you know, all the queries I'm making with via umbrella. So are you allowed to talk about any of the customers who've who've bought this or subscribed to it? Um, I'm trying to think of which sort of customers we may be able to mention, but there's there's a lot. Can you say industry-wise, <laughs> like what industries this is popular in? Uh, I mean, I, I work a lot with uh, healthcare, so lots of hospitals um, protecting their guest Wi-Fi. Uh, we have a number of financial institutions. Um, yeah, it's really kind of all over. It's really kind of all over the spectrum. So this is just like a, a quick, easy way to get security right off the bat. And you guys are keeping this sort of database of malicious sites and links up to date all the time, right? Exactly. Got it. How many sites have y'all? So there's like, I'm just looking at our site now. There's, you know, companies like uh, NVIDIA, Zendesk, uh, BMC, Sutter Health, Kellogg's, Pinterest. Comcast, Kaiser Permanente, BP, et cetera. So there's a whole whole host of them that are using it. Wow. Yeah. What an impressive list. How fun. <laughs> so anything else you want to let us know about Umbrella? How do you go to opendns.com and get it? 
Yeah, I recommend it's it's really easy to get started um, because we have this you know massive infrastructure. You'll likely see that just by pointing your DNS to us, uh, it'll likely increase your internet performance speeds, right? So if you're making two to seven thousand requests per day, um, and there's you know various third party studies that actually show us being you know number one in performance, you're likely to see a little potentially a little boost in your internet you know internet speed because um, we'll resolve those queries extremely quickly, um, as well as you get some you know initial features you can even do for, you know, at home, you can do content filtering to, you know, protect your kids or whoever from going to adult sites. Again, my grandfather. Um, so again, maybe, maybe, <laughs> no, just kidding. <laughs> maybe, maybe your grandfather in your case. Um, but yeah, so that's, that, that's another thing we do is we do content filtering, um, which is pretty popular. So lots of times, you know, people don't want to, you, know, you can prevent people from downloading movies, accessing torrents, um, inappropriate adult sites. Um, for you know things like guest Wi-Fi or employees, etc. You want to talk about what happened with our demo environment? Oh yeah, so that's that's kind of interesting. Um, I guess we were talking about this earlier. I used to be an SE, with, you know, with you on the MetaCloud team, so I have access to this uh, cloud environment, um, and I thought it would be an interesting. Like like we kind of talk about, lots of times you protect clients or users, your end users, from accessing these sites with OpenDNS, and I was just kind of thinking, well. It might be interesting if I pointed my VMs in my cloud to, you know, to our DNS resolvers. So I set that up across my entire OpenStack cloud, where I have hundreds of VMs running. Um, you know, Cisco is basically managing it, ensuring I have a, you know, four nine SLA. It's always running. So I have hundreds of virtual machines running in this environment, and I configured all of them to use OpenDNS. And I started getting these kind of suspicious. I get these daily emails of suspicious activity, and the first one I got was. Uh, basically saying that I was talking to numerous malicious domains, and I'm just thinking, hey, why is my VM talking to, you know, Brazil? It's talking to, I think it was Brazil, Argentina, China, and Syria, uh, making literally thousands, I think I had like 10,000 requests to, to Syria, and they were domains that we had tagged as malicious. So I started looking into it a little bit more, and it turns out one of the VMs had been compromised, and it was actually sending out spam. So it was actually sending out spam on, you know, in Cisco IP space, upwards of thousands of emails a day were being sent out as spam. So and I was, was actually this a, able a customer's to, VM or was this your VM? This was actually a partner's VM on our <laughs> PaaS side. Yeah, it was a, this was a partner's VM um, that had been compromised and was sending out all these emails. I got one more recently, which was we had flagged a suspicious domain and it was actually uh, Monero. It was something about um, Monero cryptocurrency.fr. Um, and it was, you know, I looked and there was a VM called Do Not Turn Me Off. Um, and so I don't know, I suspect maybe, you know, someone had spun up that VM potentially or had been compromised, but it was definitely seemed to be mining cryptocurrency. Um, so I was able to kind of shut that off. But yeah, non very non-traditional use cases, um, but still providing a lot of visibility, which is which is quite interesting. I've also seen some, calls to some, it looks like torrent exit nodes in Sweden. So it's kind of given me some more stuff to look into in my spare time. <laughs> How fun. It's kind of yeah. like being a detective where someone just hands you like a file and says, happy, happy What's hunting. Yep, exactly. <laughs> so speaking of cryptocurrency, it's something that you follow. It's something we talked about when we, uh, when we were broadcasting from Cisco Live. So tell us about your interest in cryptocurrency just in general. Um, yeah, just found it quite fascinating. Um, when I lived in London, I thought it'd be interesting to actually, you know, prove it to myself. I, I like, you know, very hands-on with technology. I was like, let me actually try getting this for myself. So I went to some website where it kind of put
puts you in touch with someone who wants to sell cryptocurrency. And from my UK bank account, I was able to, I think I bought like a Bitcoin at the time, which was 300 pounds or something. So I, you know, bought a Bitcoin. I went to this website. I basically instantly sent, sent someone 300 pounds. The broker then kind of saw that I had sent the payment. They sent me a Bitcoin. We both said we got it. And boom, I had a Bitcoin. And I was like, okay, what do I do with this Bitcoin? So and I, th I think I played around with some like little you know, internet gambling sites. I, and then I redeemed it for a gift card to Amazon. Um, I sent some to a friend as kind of an exercise. And it was just getting you know, hands-on experience with how it works. Um, probably should have held on to it. But yeah. for, me, for me, it was turning it into an Amazon gift card. That, was, that kind of proved to me that it was you know, a very tangible asset. Um, and then didn't really think much about it. Uh, you know, and then now come back. I think I hit five thousand dollars a couple of days ago, which is almost, I think, double from. I'm kicking myself for selling yeah. mine, and yeah. I sold it when it was at like eleven hundred. So I thought, but hey, you know, this is great because I've had it for years. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure I'll get some weird tax form at the end of the year, and how, I have how, to like file taxes. How much did you have? Uh, I had a fraction of a, a Bitcoin. Uh, I think I bought like when it was at like three hundred. I think I bought like fifty bucks worth or something. Oh wow! But it was—it's not a bad return, you know. I was like, "Oh, cool," you know, a few hundred bucks. Like, that's awesome. Yeah. Now there's Ethereum. Yeah. Ethereum. Yeah. Tell us about Ethereum. So I, I guess one of the ideas of Ethereum is that you know Bitcoin. There's lots of yeah, lot, lots of things to discuss about it, right? Like, I mean, they're saying transaction fees are getting high, and one thing I kind of struggle to understand is, let's say I'm paying you for a coffee, right, in Bitcoin. Why does that transaction and proof of that transaction need to reside? on a public network for all of eternity, right? It seems like there's a lot of overhead. So you have a lot of competition now with Bitcoin for you know, the people who pay the most in transaction fees, their transactions get done first. Um, and so it's not as kind of fast for small transactions as, as it used to be. And then you had this you know, fork, was it a couple months ago or last month where now there's a Bitcoin cash and there's all these discussions about what's going on with that. But then there's this Ethereum, which the idea is instead of it just being payment, it's actually a, a blockchain kind of provider where you can actually build applications on the blockchain itself. Um, and Why so would you, you want to do, do that? Why, why would you want um, to? I mean, I guess there's like this trusted issue, right? You have like currency now where lots of times, let's say you buy a house or something, there's that trusted third party who takes, you know, a cut of fees for those transactions. I think the idea is that you can create these contracts um, that are executed automatically on a trusted um, platform that everyone has visibility into. So you could kind of say, if these things hold true, then execute this sort of transaction. Oh, so it's like holding it in escrow. Uh, I, I guess that's probably the most simplistic um, example, but now you have people building applications on top of this platform um, where you even have things like um, initial coin offerings, ICOs. There have been, I don't know if you've heard much about those, but no. there's literally people coming out with their own coins. Um, and I think there's a lot of them being scams out there as well, but there's people coming out with storage coins. I think I saw one for, um, what's that? Like shoot 'em up uh, 3D shooter, Counter-Strike skins, right? I don't, I'm still like, you could use these Counter-Strike skin coins to, you know, buy Counter-Strike skins or something. Um, you know, there's lots of, there's numerous of other currencies that are actually being built on top of this platform. I think I saw a fair coin. There's, there's so many different coins out there. They're each kind of targeting 
their own use case, which is extremely unique. Um, and they're kind of built on that platform. So they've actually, there's been millions and millions of dollars raised on that platform for people to develop develop these applications. So I guess it's it's a more flexible platform where you can actually create applications on top of that. I, I've heard it countries kind of looking at this to replace sort of, I guess, uh, tr traditional monetary systems. Do you foresee a time when all of our currency will be replaced by some kind of digital currency? Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting because if you look at um, you know the dollar, it's it's trusted basically because it's you know backed by the Fed and it's been so robust for so many years. Um, lots of political things happening now where some of that could change. And if you actually um, you know, if you look at the trend of where Bitcoin's being consumed or who's using it, a lot of it is, a lot of it is international activities, such as you know there was a big spike in Greece. Um, recently, there's been a big spike in Venezuela. So if you look at that, it starts to become a more globally trusted currency. Then it it could easily. I mean, I think it it's pretty difficult to block and prevent people from using because there's kind of an anonymous factor to it. Um, so it's it's quite interesting. I think there's lots of Lots of things going for it. There's definitely a stability factor, though. Like, you know, you want to buy a Bitcoin, great, but like, you don't know if it's going to go up or down. Fortunately, over time, it's gone up quite a bit. Yeah. But how do and, you know that like you're buying something that's actually going to be worth something when you want to spend it? Yeah, I mean that. That for me, I guess I I saw it when I redeemed it for an Amazon gift card, right? Right. Um, a, a friend of mine just, you know, posted on Facebook, bought a temp. Uh, cell phone, a prepaid phone card in Poland using Bitcoin, right? So you see more cases of it. There's there's entire companies like BitPay who are enabling online merchants to sell anything for Bitcoin. Um, so there's, there's a, there's like there's a, a gun shop in Austin that <laughs> has a Bitcoin ATM, which is funny because you have to sign your life away to be able to buy a gun in Texas. Right. Like they want your ID. It has to have the right address. You have to, you know, there's all these steps that you have to take, but it's funny that you can actually go into a gun store and just pull out, you know, cash using your Bitcoin to buy guns. <laughs> have you have you bought a gun? Have you bought a gun with Bitcoin? not with Bitcoin? No, <laughs> no. This is a family show, Chris. We're, we're trying to keep it PC. <laughs> I'm just kidding. We're not really a family show. We're unfiltered. We get to talk about whatever we want. That's why it's in the title, unfiltered, not unfiltered. But. Yeah, I think it's I think it's interesting. You have you know people saying it could go up to a hundred thousand dollars a coin, and just think if you owned one coin, right? Right now they say Bitcoin, the most there will ever be based on the algorithm is twenty one million. So just think if you had you know one dollar out of twenty one million, how how valuable that'd be, right? So I think that's that's another thing. There is kind of a built in rarity of it. Interesting. So if somebody wanted to go and play with Bitcoin, what would you advise them to do? Where should they go? What's a good wallet? Uh, I mean, I, I think to get started in terms of ease of use and whatnot, I think by far the easiest way is is probably going to be something like Coinbase.com, um, and and then from there because you can link in your bank account, you can even buy it with a credit card. Um, but I suggest, yeah, it's kind of a good way to get started. Just buy a hundred dollars worth. Um, you can buy Litecoin, Ethereum from there, and then get experience with transferring it to transferring it to another wallet. Right? As I was playing around with my Ethereum wallet and the default one, it has to download the entire blockchain before I, you know, can see if someone sent me money, which is a little bit annoying because I have to, you know, turn on my computer and wait hours before it kind of updates the balance. But in the same way, I'm kind of in control of it. So there's, you know, exchanges, there's offline wallets, but I think the best way is really just getting 
um, hands-on hands-on experience with it themselves. I read the details about that recent hack where there was like some like really amateur line of code that like no one even really thought about, but it was actually white hat hackers that saved these wallets from being completely liquidated. I think I read the article in Wired. It was fascinating. Yeah, I think I think they said like someone had discovered it, and because every, every transaction is public, everyone can see what's going on, and they identified. I'm not sure how much legitimate money was stolen by the bad guys, but then, you know, the good guys came in and basically hacked all the other currency they could, amounting to what millions of dollars, I think. It gave it back to people, yeah, which is crazy. Started giving it back to people, which is kind of huh. crazy. Yeah. That's awesome. That's a cool community for sure. Yeah. So, Chris, I want to thank you. We are about out of time, but I wanted to thank you so much for joining us from your uh, from your family home there in North Carolina, and I hope you stay safe and get back to. Uh, San Francisco safely. Yep. Thanks, Nikki. Awesome. Thanks for joining our show. Don't forget to subscribe. Yep. Tell us who we should have on the show. Tweet us at Cisco Cloud. You can find Chris at Rivimont, R I V I M O N T, right? Yep, that's correct. <laughs> All right, good. So you can find Chris at Rivermont. We also, uh, We'll also post it in the blog when we when this goes live. So find us on iTunes, find us on SoundCloud, find us on YouTube, and we'll be back next week with another episode. Chris, say bye. Right. Bye. Thanks, Nikki. See you.